0: The sermon text today comes from John eleven, seventeen through 45. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Man, I'm glad you guys are able to join us uh, today. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot um, about what the Bible says about race and justice um, and faith. And there just are so many layers around this conversation, just so much. You know, uh, we won't be able to cover it all, of course, in just one sermon or one Q&A or or one newsletter. But friends, this is a lifelong journey that our church is committed to because at the end of the day, the scriptures are committed to this. God is the biggest, you know, anti-racist out there. So as a church, we're taking a full stop here and we're just going to take our time Uh, to process uh, what is happening right now, Uh, what has happened in history, listening and learning and praying how we can be a part of God's will for the oppressed and for the poor, for the suffering, for racial unity and racial justice. You know, it seems almost like every other day that another black human being is, is getting racially profiled physically assaulted, traumatized forever, and then sometimes even killed, a life taken and families shaken. Friends, we're one body. When one member hurts, we all hurt. And so today we're going to see how Jesus responds to the pain and suffering of one member of the body. We're going to take a look at four things. Uh, first, we're going to take a look at how Jesus listens second Jesus weeps three Jesus's anger four Jesus acts so first Jesus listens you know uh Mary and Martha and Lazarus if you know the story of this family they're all siblings And they're close friends with Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus and his disciples. There's food. There's lots of people Jesus is teaching. It's essentially a community group. But in John chapter 11, something tragic has happened. Mary and Martha just lost their brother Lazarus. And Jesus, he hears of this, so he heads towards their home. And and I just love this passage as I've been studying uh, this entire passage this week. Just how it shows the different ways that Mary and Martha grieve, and how they approach Jesus, and how Jesus responds to them. You know, first Mary, or sorry, Martha, hears that Jesus is coming, and so she goes out to meet him. Uh, Mary stays sitting; she doesn't go out. But Martha goes out and. You know, she's not necessarily the emotional one of the two. That would be Mary. Martha isn't weeping. You know, she's trying to intellectually think through this. And notice that Jesus doesn't start this conversation. Martha goes up to him. She speaks to him. She says in verse 21, Lord, and she's saying, Lord, you could have prevented this. She's blaming Jesus here, essentially. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't get defensive. He engages her line of thinking. He says, your brother will rise again. Jesus is not just talking about the ultimate resurrection. He's going to resurrect Lazarus now. So Jesus tells Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And then again, without, without any emotion, you know, she's not really the emotional one. She's trying to intellectually see what word Jesus is coming from. What are you talking about? What do you mean? And you can sense the passive, aggressive frustration in Martha's words. She says, yes, Lord. <laughs> I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world, right? She she gives him this theological answer. And I love what she does after this. The text says, When Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. You know, she doesn't even wait for Jesus to respond, right? After she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. She doesn't even wait for him to respond. She she gets up and she leaves. She's not in the mood today for a discussion with Jesus. She's tired. She's just lost her brother. Doesn't make any sense to her. She cannot believe that Jesus didn't do anything. Jesus is pointing her to the ultimate resurrection. She's she's mad at Jesus. She's done. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. He knows that Martha is going through something painful and traumatic. He allows her to express herself, her own unique way. He shows her grace. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't leave. He stays. He listens. He's in it with Martha. Pastor Will Witherington is a pastor in Lexington, California, uh, Kentucky. Um, and he says that one of the illustrations that helped him and his church lean into this painful reality with grace and empathy is to understand the traumatic injustice of the black community. He says this, if you know anyone who's experienced abuse, injustice, and trauma, you don't try to reinterpret their experience for them. You don't scrutinize every little thing they say or do. You don't tell them to stop being angry. You understand, you listen, you empathize, you validate the injustice. So, friends, when, when someone has experienced tremendous injustice and trauma, because death is tremendous injustice, it's not how uh, things are supposed to be, we see here that Jesus listens, just listens. And this brings us to the second point, Jesus weeps. In verse 29, um, it tells us that when Je- Mary heard that Jesus was here, she, she rose quickly and went to him. And verse 32 says this, When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Friends, you've got to pay attention to the details here. The the meaning is in the details, right? You have Martha, who's not crying, who's not emotional. She's intellectually trying to wrestle with Jesus. But Mary is full of emotion. She wears her heart on her sleeve, and she says the exact same thing that Martha does, but her approach and her tone is completely different. She's yelling, she's wailing, she collapses at Jesus' feet. She says, Jesus, you let me down, and I'm questioning your love for my family and me. Where were you? The Greek word for weeping here is it's an unrestrained. Wailing. It's not a kind of crying that you and I do when we watch a movie. It's a kind of weeping and wailing that you see at funerals. When loved ones are lost, Mary is coming to Jesus out of the wake of her trauma. My friend uh, Lance He said something really helpful. He's going to speak to us in a couple weeks about about this. But he said, you know, he said something really helpful. He said, you know, there there are like various ways uh, of expressing grief and anger towards racial injustice. And we see just the different responses on the spectrum. And so we shouldn't expect all of them to be identical. Right now, there is no formula. Rather, we've got to try our best to empathize the trauma that is triggering the response. And listen to each unique voice and empathize and work towards unity and build trust and champion love and righteousness and life. We have to be willing to live in the tension. And so understandably, Jesus, you know, he's not he doesn't have the same approach to Mary uh, that he had with Martha. He doesn't engage with Mary's Mind, instead, he engages with her heart. And this is, friends, one of the most profound scenes we have of Jesus' humanity. He doesn't even respond to her, he doesn't say a single word. The text tells us that Jesus wept. And what a miracle it is, friends, that God sheds tears. Jesus, who is the Son of God, chooses to enter into the unblessed state of humanity. Willingly. Compassionately. Actively. Uh, Pastor Hammond, uh, Herman Hamilton has this really helpful talk with Pastor Gary Gadini um herman's black gary's white and they have this really humble transparent conversation and i've had similar uh conversation with some of my friends and maybe you have too Um, but in general it seems like if you are white uh, there is this pervasive guilt or you may feel expected to carry this guilt of 350 years of slavery uh, and the 100 years of segregation that has encoded racial bias and racial injustice, right, uh, in America. And, and the question that they wrestle with here in this conversation is, is, should you have a pervasive guilt if you've treated people with decency and respect? And Pastor Gary helps us think through this by catego- categorizing the spectrum of white response. Um, He says, you know, like, on the one end, there's uh, the Nazis and the KKK and white supremacists, you know, the bad people, and the people who enforce or reinforce systemic injustice. Uh, Then there are people who tell racist jokes, offensive jokes, uh, discriminate under the radar. They're not convinced that systemic injustice exists. Then there's this neutral category of people that don't tell racist jokes, uh, they do believe that systemic injustice exists, but they're more neutral in activity and then there's the people who are uh, actively involved with social justice. And, and and Pastor Gary is saying, you know, one might think, or one might say, you know, I didn't enslave anyone. I didn't endorse any Jim Crow legislation. So uh, why is the burden of this guilt on me? Right? They're, they're, man, it's, it's such a transparent, um, holistic, and humble sort of uh, insight. And Pastor Herman, you know, he, he responds to this something, and he says something uh, s- not even just beautiful. It is beautiful, but he says something that's really biblical. He says this, and I have the quote up here. Um, he says, wherever you are on that spectrum, I don't want you to feel guilt for 350 years of slavery, 100 years of segregation. I want you to be aware of my experience as a black individual. I want you to be sad and upset by it. I want it to activate you and use your power to speak to it and do something. We're not looking for guilt. We don't want you to feel guilty. We just want you to feel what we feel. We're looking for solidarity, for justice, and love. Why is this biblical? Because in our passage, friends, today, this is what Jesus does. he listens he doesn't say why are you blaming me for lazarus's death i didn't do anything no he enters into the emotion of the moment and the anguish and the fear and the anger and this brings us to the third point jesus's anger you know in verse 33 um, it says that when jesus saw mary he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and um, all the Bible scholars agree that this sentence for deeply moved, this phrase deeply moved, it's, it's been very, very unusually translated, okay? Uh, the Greek word for this uh, phrase deeply moved, it actually signifies a loud, inarticulate noise, right? It's used to describe the loud snorting of animals when they're angry, when they're pushed into a corner when they're receiving hostile threats and so this isn't just a you know internal anger you know most of us in western america we experience this internal anger that we've got to control right we don't want to lose control of this anger no that's not what this word means it's this external anger jesus's facial expressions his body language his tone is soaked with this anger of an animal that is receiving hostile action. Mary and Martha have been just robbed of their brother. Jesus isn't angry at Mary and Martha. That's not what the text is saying. Like, oh, why are you coming at me with this? No, there's a great injustice here. He's angry alongside them. You see, the injustice of death is a manifestation of sin and the brokenness in this world. Death was never meant to be. That's why when we lose someone, we grieve and we weep uncontrollably because we feel a sense of injustice, of losing someone that we shouldn't have lost. And if you take a look at our current context right now, the injustice of racism is also a manifestation of sin. And racism, whether it's explicit or implicit, You know, whether it's an explicit slur or an explicit threat or an explicit assault or an implicit microaggression, all of this racism gets into everything in our lives. It's built into our society. It's built into our justice system. It's part of our culture, and it creeps into our thoughts. It creeps into our preferences, our indifference, and our heart and this goes for everyone you and me so in a sense we are all guilty in james chapter 4 verse 17 james speaks to the sin of indifference he says whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin and bible scholars call this the sin of omission the sin of indifference we see here Jesus listens. He weeps. He's outraged at the sinful injustice of Lazarus' pain and suffering and death. And lastly, he acts. In verse 38, Jesus walks to the tomb where Lazarus is buried. That phrase comes up again, deeply moved. So Jesus is again visibly angry. He is hot at the injustice of sin. And in verse 39, Jesus tells the crowd, take away the stone. And then Martha says, Lord, by this time, there'll be an odor, right? There's a smell. She still doesn't understand what Jesus, she still thinks Jesus is talking about the ultimate resurrection, right? She doesn't know like, that he's going to do justice now. He's been dead for four days. And then Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes forth. With linen strips, and his face wrapped up with a cloth, and Jesus tells him, "Unbind him, and let him go." And the and the Greek word here for unbind, man, this passage is just so beautiful. It's rich with, uh, just. Uh, biblical uh, context from the Old Testament and the New Testament and even sort of imagery and and illustrations and and, and semantic uh, metaphors and analogies. This, This Greek word here for unbind is luo, and it's the same Greek word that's used to translate the Hebrew word in the Old Testament to unchain, to unshackle, to release. Psalm 145 says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, uh, his God, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord lulos the prisoners. So there's this play on words here by Jesus. He's not just saying, unbind the linen straps (laughs) on Lazarus, right? He's he's uncomfortable. Come on, guys, do something. No, he's, he's saying, unshackle Lazarus. Let him go. Set him free from the injustice of sin and death. He's doing something cosmic here. And this is not the first time that God has told the injustice of sin to let his people go. In Exodus chapter 5, God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may worship me. And just as God told Pharaoh and Jesus told Lazarus, his voice, friends, is clear to us today. Lazarus, come out. Come out of sin. Come out of death. Come out of bondage. Be free. Be saved. Be delivered. Let my people go. Friends, by Jesus' victorious death on the cross, we are forgiven of all our sins. And we are freed from the power of sin and death. The old has gone, and with the power of Jesus' resurrection, behold, the new has come. Second Corinthians chapter five verse 18 says, "All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Risen through Christ, God has." reconciled us to himself and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation as we can see from our text this isn't just a vertical spiritual personal reality with God this is a horizontal interpersonal spiritual reality with our neighbors with our brothers and sisters in this world In the Exodus, God used Moses and Aaron to horizontally speak spiritual truth to the injustices of Pharaoh. And with Lazarus, Jesus used Lazarus' friends to roll away the stone and to unbind and unshackle and to unchain and to free Lazarus and to let him go. It's always done in this nonviolent way of course except when Jesus overthrows the temple we always forget about that don't we <laughs> but friends god does use his people through words and deeds and this is what it means to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in our passage today jesus shows us the way First, in our text, we see Jesus. He goes to Mary and Martha in their pain. He listens. You know, he's learning. He's empathizing. He's taking his time. He's asking questions. He walks with them to the tomb. So, friends, there is no substitute to walk with those who experience injustice. We cannot microwave this. People live in time and space with real emotions and process trauma and injustice over a lifetime it's a marathon and if you're wondering where, where do I start right where, where do I start Well, friends first you cannot underestimate the value of a good education alright remember this isn't a current issue racial issues are as old as time and they are prolifically spoken about in scripture and so it's essential to understand the gospel the vertical relationship we have with God and what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for our sins, it's it's essential to understand that and then the implications of that gospel truth. So we've got to get educated and informed of these implications by reading books and watching videos and documentaries and studying the word and listening to people and having teachable hearts teachable hearts on our website we have a link to an organization called the gospel coalition in our justice and compassion page and in 2019 uh, this organization hosted a conference to honor uh, the reverend dr martin luther king and so there are some powerful sermons there that that i want all of y'all to listen to just just listen to them while you're walking while you're running um, you know, while you're cooking, um, they're well informed, they're biblical, they're courageous, they're repentant, uh, they're hopeful, and they're unifying. And so, friends, right now we're all at home, we're all stuck at home. This is prep time for us. Learning is activism. Second, we see Jesus act against this injustice. Uh, he weeps. Right, he gets angry. And then he protests against this injustice, right? People are saying, Jesus, you can't raise Lazarus from this dead. You can't, uh, you can't move the stone. There will be a smell. You're going to unsettle everyone here. What are you doing? Typically, when people die, Jesus, we just let them dead, and we keep the stone there. It's been four days. Don't do it. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Take away the stone. Jesus takes what appears to be a permanent reality and he turns it upside down. He goes against the status quo. So I just want to simply talk about the act of protesting, whether it's physical uh, on the streets or or maybe even getting involved in the city council, joining a commission, joining a committee, uh, voicing your opinion during the town hall meetings or through conversation with others or even on social media. Friends, If you go to an evangelical, Bible-believing church, whether it's Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, Lutheran, Anglican, Pentecostal, or non-denominational, you are part of the Protestant movement, the Protestant church. If there was no protesting, there wouldn't be a Protestant church. There'd be no John Calvin no Martin Luther King, no Harriet Tubman, no Billy Graham, no Elizabeth Elliot, no Ravi Zacharias, no John Piper, no Tim Keller. You get the point. But many faithful, valiant, God-fearing, courageous saints protested against the injustices of the Roman Catholic Church. And at that time, the Roman Catholic state. Were there some minority groups using it as an opportunity to loot or bolster their cult? Yes. But that did not undermine the cause and the heart and the movement and the motive and the goodness and righteousness of the Protestant movement. But we see Jesus not just protest, and I love this part. He gets others involved, right? He could have just moved the stone himself. Uh, This is the man who walked on the water, uh, this is the man who's, who, who's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but instead he gets others to help remove the stone, to help remove some of the obstacles. They want, he wants them to get proximate to the injustices of this world. He wants them to experience what it looks like to partner with those who have experienced the injustice of pain and suffering and to allow them to be unshackled, to be set free. And friends, that's what he's waiting for and desiring for us right now. He wants us to uh, accomplish, right, as we pray, his will on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and it's not just proclaiming the gospel. It's not just uh, words. It's also deeds. It's living in step with the gospel, right? Um, Friends, think about this. If, if, you, if, if something happened to one of your kids at school and you felt like it wasn't addressed properly, what would you do? Right? You'd you protest. You'd grieve. You'd get angry. You'd go to the school. You'd ask for the details of what happened. You'd ask for accountability. Has this happened before? How long has this been happening? What's being done to address this um, do you guys have cameras? Can I see the video? Are there other witnesses? Can I talk to the other teachers and the kids, the other parents? You'd get involved. This is the right and just thing to do. Right? Justice never replaces the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. It cannot get someone to eternity. It does not make someone right with God. But it is a clear, pervasive implication of the gospel. And then lastly, The last thing we see Jesus do here is pray. In verse 41, Jesus lifted up his eyes, right? Oh, it's beautiful. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And I love that, right? He is doing this so that people may believe that the Father has sent him. And in the same way, right, we live uh, in step with the truth of the gospel so that people standing around, that they may believe that the Father sent Jesus. But friends, we won't be able to live in step with the truth of the gospel by our own strength. Jesus couldn't even do it. The power of sin is too strong. The human spirit is too afraid. The human heart is too comfortable. The human flesh is too weak. First Peter chapter four, uh, Peter says this: As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Ephesians chapter six uh, verse 10, Paul tells church in Ephesus be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 Paul tells Timothy I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord and in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21 Paul tells the church in Ephesus again I bow my knees before the father that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the strengths, saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth to know the love of Christ. And to him now who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are all bound by the chains and the shackles of sin. And in a sense, You have called us out in faith, in salvation. Once and for all, we have been forgiven. We are saved. We are righteous in the sight of God. Through Jesus, our mediator, the guilt and the shame has been taken away. And we have complete union and access and friendship with God, the most holy, perfect judge in the entire universe but at the same time we feel the shackles and the chains that that somehow are like a shadow that we cannot sh- cannot shake that we cannot lose and this life is a journey a sanctifying process In which you refine us and our faith and our thoughts and our lives by the fire. And that fire is the adversity and the challenges and still yet the brokenness in this world. You do not zap us into heaven immediately, but you want us to struggle and to wrestle and to be salt and light and part of the greatest mission possible in calling out Lazarus from the grave and helping one another to unbind and to unshackle and to allow us to live in the freedom that we already have more and more every single day. And there is tremendous hope in this. And Father, even now, you have... Thrust our church into the midst of not only the pandemic, but the social injustices, the racial injustices of our black brothers and sisters. And you are sanctifying us. You are challenging us. And you are telling us take away this stone, unbind him, and let him go. So, Father, Forgive us for not understanding your heart for justice as you do. Forgive us, forgive the church for not talking about justice as a gospel implication as much as you do. Forgive us for looking at the world purely from our perspective and our backgrounds and our upbringing and our training and not by your perspective and not by others' perspectives. Father, forgive us. Forgive us and have mercy. Humble us and convict us and press upon us the hearts of Mary, Martha, Lazarus, those who are suffering from the injustice of sin. Father, we want to be salt and light. But only you can help us do these things. For you have brought down the dividing wall of hostility. You have broken and you have torn the curtain in two. If that is possible, surely you can unite your people. You can unite your church. So Father, we ask that you would help us and give us the strength that we need, that only you supply and allow us to be strong, not in our intellect, not in our voice, but in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Would you strengthen us with your power through your spirit comprehend the love of Christ according to your power that is work within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.